Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I am Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today, I, I've got a guy on today that can read minds. So you better um, get right with the Lord. I'm just kidding. So listen, do me a favor and share this out and um, stay with us. We'll be right back. I've got Dave D on today. This is going to be a blast. And we're back. Let me bring Dave D on the show. Dave, welcome. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm super excited about being here, man. I, I'm I'm honored to have you on here, man. Just don't be reading my mind. <laughs> <laughs> People are probably wondering what the heck is he talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, we're gonna we're gonna dive into that. But you know, I I started the show. It's been over a little over four years ago now, and um. It, honestly, I think it was selfish motive. <laughs> it, was, it was, I was in a stuck place in life and I'm like, you know, if I get enough people to tell me their story of how they got unstuck, I might be able to figure something out in my life and, and man, it's worked. So, um, Dave, I'm excited to hear your story. Let's start with where you were born and raised. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts to, uh, what my friends still uh, refer to as Ward and June Cleaver. Now that I'm dating myself there, so some people may not know what we're talking about. But if you see, the show, leave it, leave it to Beaver. Sure, that those were my parents. So I grew wow. up in a very, very uh, traditional household with a uh, uh, dad worked, mom stayed home. So I, I was very, very blessed um, as a kid. That's awesome. So was Wally your brother? <laughs> no, no, there was no <laughs> Wally. Um, uh, there was just two sisters and one of them was, was more like Eddie Haskell. Just so oh, you know, geez. So, yeah. We're uh -oh. not going to say which one in case they see this, <laughs> by the way, I, I, I do, I do a lot of interviews. I've never referenced the beaver before, but so there we go. This is a first. Hey, I <laughs> that was one of my favorite shows. Oh God, kid, I love so. it. We need a little bit more of that in the world today, quite frankly. Yeah, we can have a whole conversation about that. That's for we sure. Could. So, so, um, so you, you grew up in Springfield, Mass? Yeah, grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts. Okay. And ever since I was eight years old, my, my grandmother uh, gave me a little magic set when I was eight years old. And I fell in love with the art of magic. I loved it. Uh, not a, like most boys at some age and some girls, but mostly boys, you know, get a magic set and they, they play around with it. But I was head over heels and I really wow. knew really early on in my life that that's what I wanted to do for a living. Uh, I, it was a beyond a, oh, what? this is just fun. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, um, my parents thought it was kind of cute when I was eight and nine and 10. They didn't think it was so cute when I was 17, 18. <laughs> Right. And, and, and so I, I got a lot of uh, negative uh, feedback just because they didn't know the great parents, greatest parents on the planet, but they just didn't get it. And they thought, you know, get a job and get the gold watch and all of that kind of stuff, because that's the era that they were brought up in. Yeah. And so for the longest time, I, I followed a very traditional route. I went to the University of Massachusetts, got a degree in communication, got into a radio station. Uh, was involved in radio advertising sales. And and I was, by the way, I teach selling now and, and persuasion and influence. I was, Ken, the worst radio advertising salesperson on planet Earth. I couldn't sell my way my way out of a wet paper bag. It was bad. Um, and Do you know this guy, Ben Gay Third? Yes, absolutely. Look at that. He was hey, born ben, in Spring how you doing? Springfield, Massachusetts, and lived in East Lawn Meadow. Wow. Wow. Ben's yeah, a legend Fenway right Drive. there. Wow. Fenway Drive. Wow, that's awesome. Wow. And so it wasn't until my 20s, um, I, I moved away from Springfield. I moved to Atlanta, Georgia to take a job as a 
um, a demonstrator, actually pitch man in a, an executive magic store. So there was a series of these executive magic stores in nice hotels uh, in Atlanta and throughout the country. And basically our job was to draw in a crowd of not magicians. Um, basically the, the pitch was that we were selling overpriced magic tricks to unsuspecting conventioneers. And that's when I really started getting good at, well, drawing in a crowd, keeping the crowd, demonstrating, and then selling the, the trick afterwards. And I became the top salesperson for the company. Uh, and they made me sales manager, which basically meant when somebody missed a shift, I got to do a double shift. And I'm going to lay out a number for you here, Ken. And I don't want you to be jealous of this. And I don't want the viewers to be jealous of the number I'm about because I'm not bragging. But my best year, Ken, $22,000 I made. You go on with your bad self, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, wow. and, and, and what's interesting is, um, you know, sometimes, actually, every time I speak, that's I, I make more than that in an hour. Right. Uh, and but it got me on the path. And then I. I I actually got fired from that job because I had very entrepreneurial spirit and I really was not into it. And so now I had to make a decision. Was I going to make my lifelong dream a reality? Um, or was I going to take the traditional route, which I've been brought up to do? And it was a struggle, but working for someone else felt like death to me. And I had this passion since I was eight. And so I decided to go for it. Wow. And the mistake that I made, because this is breakthrough walls, yeah. The mistake I made is the mistake that a lot of people who sell a professional service make. And yeah. as I believe, because I was taught that if I just got really good at what I did, I would be successful. So I spent all my time practicing my show, practicing my act, getting really good at what I did. But the problem was that wasn't translating into business. Mm -hmm. And I was only doing about three shows a month. And then I heard something which literally changed my life. And, and hopefully someone listening it will, can have a profound impact on their life as well, which was this. Um, it's more important to be a master marketer and a master of selling than it is to be a master of your craft. Now, that's not to say you don't have to be good. That's right. just so people misinterpret it. But. I, the, the, there's a saying in show business, there's two words, show and business, and business is the bigger word. Yeah. And so for some reason, can that clicked in my head? Like I was missing the business part of this. And so I dove head first into learning marketing and selling, learning how to generate leads, learning how to make the phone ring, and then learning how to close those sales. And once I really put my focus on the area that it should be, which was on the business part of the business. Um, I went from doing three shows a month to averaging 25 shows a month in less than 90 days. So if wow. someone's out there, whatever your business is, imagine that jump in my fourth month. Can I did 57 shows 57 wow. in a month? So, so, so hang on. So yeah. uh, <clears throat> help me wrap my brain around this. You went from three shows a month, to 57 shows in the fourth month in the fourth month that's insane um so my my that i mean it's not insane it's just an insane jump i mean that's right. huge um so how did you who, who where, what changed who who was your mentor where did this new i mean obviously you were implementing new information into your life where did that all come from? Yeah. So um, I, my, my very first marketing mentor was a guy by the name of Dan Kennedy. And I went to see Dan speak at a big success rally. And uh, I, uh, I bought his product, even though I didn't think I could afford it. Yeah. And, and then I implemented it. And that's the whole key, as you mentioned, is implementation. I took, yeah. as Jim Rohn said, magic, ma massive action. I took massive action. You know what? Most of the stuff I did didn't work. It didn't work, right? It, it, it failed, but enough of it did. And, wow. and, and then, so that started generating leads. But the truth was I was getting all of these phone calls 
and I wasn't converting them into, into paid performances. I wasn't turning the prospect into a client. Mm. <clears throat> and so then I needed to learn how to sell, right? So I created phone scripts and I tested different things. And the thing that people need to understand is even though we're talking about my success as a magician, I was selling a professional service just like anybody else. So yeah. I needed to generate leads. Uh, those leads came in by the phone. I closed them over the phone. I needed to deliver the service. I needed referrals and repeat business, just like any business. Yeah. My business just happened to be an entertainment business. Wow. And so I, I just took massive action and I did everything that I could. Uh, and I did it right away. And I took um, what I like to call imperfect action meaning I didn't wait until I knew how to write a great sales letter or how to put together the perfect ad. I did what I could. Right. And well, like I said, a lot of it didn't work, but a lot of it did. And the results were amazing. And then what happened was people started hearing of my successes and started inviting me to speak on stages, literally all around the world to tell my story. Cause it's kind of a different, uh, cool story. Yeah. That my mentor, uh, Dan Kennedy invited me to speak on one of his stages. And he said, now here's the deal though, you need to sell a product from the stage. So just give people a little backstage, back background information or inside baseball. At a lot of conferences where you see where someone is selling something from the stage, the promoter gets half of that. So they're assembling the audience and the speaker gets half. And the truth is I would rather not be paid to speak. I'd rather be paid for my own way to go there and sell because yep. I make more money that way. So I was like, oh, this is going to be really easy. So I put together a, a, an information product. You know, back then it was audio cassette tapes and a manual. And I thought this was going to be a piece of cake, Ken, right? I'm an <laughs> entertainer, right? And I've been speaking and I've been getting applause and standing ovations. This is going to be simple. And I saw other speakers, people rushing to the back of the room to buy, buy the products. And so, man, I was rocking and rolling. People were laughing and they were clapping. And then I did my clothes and I'm putting the air quotes around clothes because it wasn't really a clothes and it was crickets. I mean, Ken, the only people that were going to the back of the room were leaving to go to the bathroom. I mean, <laughs> right. it was, it was embarrassing. I mean, it really was, Yeah. but I saw other speakers who were really just crushing it, making 50,000, a hundred thousand, $150,000 from their presentation. And I said to myself, I want that. Yeah. I want that. Yeah. And, uh, and so I did the same process that I did to go from the three shows a month to 25 shows a month, to 57 shows a month. I invested in myself in my education and I went to seminars and I bought programs and I did private coaching. I did all of that. And I, then I developed my own speak to sell system. Yeah. And fast forward, I was invited again because this was an annual event. Two years later, uh, Dan invited me to speak again at his event. But this time I wasn't on main stage. So when you bomb at one of these events, you don't get put back on main stage. Right. So I was in a breakout session in the bowels of the hotel the first thing in the morning. and But now I was armed with my system, which I had road tested and perfected. And this time when the smoke cleared, um, in 75 minutes, I had sold $300,000 worth of this particular product that I was selling. And now, it was again, your product. Um, it was actually, it wasn't my product. Oh. I was hired to sell a, a Kennedy license. Ah, gotcha. Right? So gotcha. to sell a license to sell Dan's products. Yeah. And so I shouldn't say I was hired. I mean, I was paid, but no, just so everyone knows I, I didn't make 300,000 Myself, I only made one hundred and fifty thousand, oh, but I don't know what other people's um, hourly rate is. But for me, that's pretty good, yeah. right? And and so then what happened is people said, "Hey, can you teach me this?" And most of the folks that I deal with sell a professional service. So, for example, a financial advisor will do a seminar or a webinar, or an estate planning attorney, or a coach, yeah. or a consultant. And so that's what leads us here today. So that was a long way to get there, but that's the journey. I no, it was the perfect way to get there. I, I, you know, what's weird is, is I, I, I love Russell Brunson and I've studied all of his stuff and he really? talks about Dan Kennedy all the time. I was on Amazon the other day and Dan Kennedy popped up. I don't know how. Um, but I, he keeps coming up. Like he came up in conversation last night with somebody I was talking to. I'm like, I got to get Dan Kennedy on the show, I guess. But 
you know, I, I think that, um, well, what's re what's really interesting, by the way, just as again, a little inside baseball, cause I've worked very, very closely with Dan. I've actually, we've actually done a lot of things together to sell uh, his products and sell some of my stuff. And, um, he engineers that. So wow. he engineers people talking about him. That's one of his best lead generation methods. So a takeaway for everybody is, well, how can I get, how can I engineer? So my clients are actually when they're at, um, a, a cocktail party. How, how can I get them talking about me as the business owner? By the way, it's one of the things that I did to boost my, my shows. So it wasn't just from marketing. Yeah. It wasn't just from outside lead generation. I would generate leads from inside my show. I thought of my show as not the end game, but really as the beginning. So, mm. so how can I, and that's how I transitioned from doing kids birthday parties, which was what I was doing to corporate because I was the highest priced magician in the Atlanta area at the time. Wow. And so I was in high end and I purposely thought that through. So I was in homes of executives. And so I would casually mention during the kids show, Hey, I'll, this is something that I did for Porsche last week. And so at, at one of their sales meetings, so I used everything marketing in. So what it, it's really the difference between tactics and strategy, right? Yeah. So the strategy was when you're working with a client. So the, a lot of people think, oh, I've got the client. That's the end game. Well, it's not the end game. That's actually the beginning. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So, so you, uh, did, did you, I, I, I think we skipped over this. I don't know. Did you go to college? Yeah, I went to the University of Massachusetts oh, that's, in, in Amherst. Yeah, I got a degree in communication. That's right. That's we didn't skip over it. You yeah, and I did shows while I was in college and, and things like that. I did a hypnosis show, by the way, with zero hypnosis, like zero training, um, like zero. I said, yeah, I can do that. So the first half of the show was mind reading, <laughs> mentalism. The second half of the show was hypnosis. It went over well, which was good. Uh, but so, <clears throat> talk about what, what exactly is that mind reading mentalist and, and all of that? Yeah. What, what so is that? it's, it's a subset of magic mentalists don't like to admit that. Right. So, um, it is giving the illusion, uh, that you're reading minds, but the truth is the difference between that, that, that and magic is a lot of the stuff. If you're seeing someone who's a good mentalist, they're actually using, not everything is real, but some of it actually is real. So there's a lot of neuro-linguistic programming, uh, which has worked in, at least into my show, like legitimate, uh, using language patterns to influence people. Um, and, and that's what I incorporated into my one-to-many selling system, right? Wow. I incorporated a lot of that stuff. So subliminal persuasion strategies, the real stuff uh, into, into the system. So to give you an example, one of the things that you want to do when you're selling one to many, whether it's in a webinar or in person or on video is, and you're doing a complete sales presentation is you want to, you need to answer all of the objections in advance. Okay. So per, even in one-to-one -one selling pros, try to answer all of the objections before the prospect brings up the objection. But yeah. in one-to-many selling, it's mission critical, right? Because you, there's, you, you can't take everyone's objection. Right. And so I know that one of the objections when I'm selling a product from the stage or a service from the stage is going to be the price for some people is they're going to say, whoa, I can't afford that. Yep. And so what I do is I want to su subliminally answer that objection during the presentation. So here's how I do it every single time I tell my core story. Okay. I tell my origin story. Now I tell it different. It's the same story, but I tell it different because it's set up to sell. I'm not selling anything here. Right. But one of the things that I do is I talk about going to that seminar and I talk about when Dan said what the price of the product was. And I said, you know what? I, I thought to myself immediately, Oh, I know I need this. I, I want this. This is going to be the game changer for me, but I didn't think I could afford it. Mm. But you know what? Then I remembered something that Jim Rohn said. Jim Rohn said that successful people invest in themselves and their education. And I knew that if I wanted to be successful, I needed to do what successful people did. So I went ahead and I invested in the program, even though I didn't think I could afford it. So I, that's at the very beginning of the presentation. 
So yeah. what that does is I've subliminally planted a seed, the answer to the objection in the prospect's mind, in my audience's mind. Yeah. If when I say the price towards the end of the presentation of whatever it is I'm selling, the, the, the person doesn't think it's expensive, well, no harm, no foul. However, for the person that, or the people that do say, geez, I'd love to get, what are you selling? But I can't afford it. That seed sprouts. And they remember, well, wait a minute, successful people invest in themselves and their education. Yep. And I know for a fact that, that this works because after every single, every single time, every time someone will come up to me and say, you know what? I didn't, I, this is really more than I think I can, uh, like that I can invest. But I remember that thing that Jim Rohn said about successful people investing themselves in their education. And so that's wow. an example of planting it's, it's very subliminal. Now, there's a big difference between that and saying to the audience after I say the price. Now, some of you might be thinking, I can't right. afford this, right? Totally different. Totally different. Wow. So, yeah. And so when, whenever you're creating a one-to-many presentation, you want to create what I call an objection list. What are all of the objections someone would have for not moving forward? Why would they not schedule an appointment with you? Why would they not schedule a consultation with you? Why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they buy the product that you're selling? Why wouldn't they take the next step? And you write all of those down and then you weave in the answers um, throughout the entire presentation. So one way is subtly. Another way is also subtle is to answer it with an objection, right? Yeah. So uh, let's say that one of the objections is, well, this is going to be a lot of work. And so you could have a testimonial from someone that said, you know, when I first heard about this, I thought it was going to be a lot of work, but here's what I found. It wasn't a lot of work. It was a lot easier than I thought. So again, putting that subtle type of um, uh, answering objections uh, using subliminal language and in, in, in subtlety is really important. You know, I, I, I think that if people really understood what you're talking about and the power of it. I, I remember, um, and, and my buddy JR says, what is Ken thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was selling for this company years and years ago and we had a presentation and, and, um, this one part of the presentation was called killing off the competitors. Mm -hmm. And it was literally doing exactly what, you know, I was selling bathroom remodeling or something. And it was, well, you may want to go to a regular um, uh, contractor, but do you, do you, have you seen any of the experiences people have with contractors and, and you start, you're just bringing out the objections throughout the presentation. I love that, man. I really, you're making me sit here and think, okay, what part can I tweak in mind to do exactly what you're talking about? Because it works. Yeah, it works really powerfully. If it's okay with you, I mean, I want to give massive value to people. Sure. Um, if you think it's a good idea, if not, we can move on to something else. I'd love to go over the exact structure of the pres of a of a one to many presentation. Like I, if you're willing to do that, um, drop a one in the comments. If you'd like Dave to do that, <laughs> I think it'd be brilliant if you did that, man. Yeah. Okay, great. I'd, I'd love to. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and then if people have any questions or anything like that, Ken, I'm happy to answer those as well. So this is a structure of, for a webinar. This is a structure for an in-person presentation. This is a structure for a video, whatever. All right. Okay. This is a one-to-many this is exactly how you create a one-to-many presentation that sells. Remember, there's a huge difference between speaking and getting applause, which quite frankly is easy, and speaking to sell, okay? Mm -hmm. So here are the three parts, and then I'll tell you what needs to happen in each part. So you've got your opening to your presentation, then you've got your middle piece, and then you've got your close. The first thing to understand is that the entire presentation is a close. So from the very first thing that you say all the way through all of your stories, all of your examples, all of your teaching points, the entire point is to close the sale. So your entire presentation is a close. That's not to say that you're not delivering great value because you are delivering great value. I'm going to share with you exactly how to do that. So the first tip is that you start building the close first. So you, as Stephen Covey, the late Stephen Covey said, you begin with the end in mind. 
So you build your close first. Well, what almost everybody does is they start at the beginning of their presentation and work their way through to the close. No, you create all of your closing slides, your closing script first, because that informs you as to what you need to say in order to set up that sale. But let, for our purposes and to make it easy to understand, we'll start at the beginning. So here's what your opening needs to accomplish. The very first thing your opening needs to accomplish is grab the audience's attention. And so the way you do that is by making a really big, bold statement, a, a, a bold promise that you can follow through on. And let me give everybody the basic structure. So hopefully people are taking notes because I want this, Ken, to be the most valuable one of the breakthrough walls that they've ever watched. Okay. So here's what you yeah. want to say. It's something to this effect. In the next blank minutes, in the next 57 minutes, I'm going to share with you a one, two, three, step-by-step -step strategy for accomplishing X, Y, and Z. So this now, so again, in the next 75 minutes, I'm going to teach you a one, two, three, step-by-step -step strategy for creating a webinar that will get, first of all, a ton of people signed up for it, people engaged, and most importantly, more prospects buying your product or service than ever before. In fact, I'm going to share with you how you can sell more of your products in one month than you now you currently do all year. So I just made that up off the top of my head, but that's a big, bold promise. That's the bold. promise has got to be tied in, Ken, with what the audience desires. So you need to really know who your audience is, who your prospects are. So that's the very first thing that you do. The second thing that needs to be accomplished is you need to let the audience know that they're in the right place. And so you're going to say something to the effect of this is for you if, and then you're going to talk about the prospect. This is for you if you sell a professional service and you're really good at what you do, but you're not getting the results. You're not getting enough clients. You're not making all the money that you desire. And you know that you could and should be doing better. So now the audience can say, yep, this is for me. It's really important, these all of these pieces, especially at the beginning of the presentation, because on, on a webinar, if you don't grab their attention right away, they're gonna they're gonna click off. They're gonna they're gonna lose, yeah. they're gonna watch something else. In person, they're gonna mentally check out. And today people are so rude that they'll actually turn on their phone, right? It's <laughs> right. So you don't want that. So then right. the next thing that you do, remember, this is all in the opening. The next thing that you do is something called future pacing. Future pacing is where you paint a scenario of exactly how their life can be if they follow and do what you tell them to do. But then you also future pace the negative. Here is what will happen or here's the possibility of what will happen if you don't listen very carefully. Now, you, you don't use that, this exact language. Right, right, right. right. Okay. But you want to paint both the pain and the pleasure scenario, right? As Tony yeah. Robbins has taught there's two motivating forces, pain and pleasure. So we've yep. got moving towards motivation. We've got moving away from motivation. We want to use both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now we've made a big, bold promise, got their attention. We said, who's this for? We then future paced. Now the next piece of your opening is why should I listen to you? Why should I be listening to you? And this is where you tell your origin story and your origin story is needs to connect with the audience. So even if you're talking about yourself or you're talking about your business, even though you're talking about yourself and you're talking about your business, you really need to relate it to the audience. So a couple tips on this. Number one, you want to show a picture of your family. Right? This is where people are going to begin to bond with you. This is when you're going to start developing rapport with your audience. So sh show a picture of your family and introduce each one of your family members and then tell your story, either the story of your business or your core story. So at the very beginning, Ken asked me to tell my story. So I told a version of my core story. I didn't tell my entire core story and interlace it with all of the sales stuff because I'm not selling anything here. But if you watch this again, and hopefully you will, you'll see that um, I told my story. Here was my beginning right? Here's where I struggled. Here's yep. my breakthrough point And here's the after point. So that's yep. the basic part of the story. Is this all making sense? Ken? Yeah. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's all of that is the opening. Now we go into the center section of the presentation. And I used to call this the teaching section of the presentation, but that gave 
my students the wrong idea. This is, and everyone should write these words down. This is the content that sells section. So here are some big rules about this. Number one, you want to deliver three pieces of information, not four, not five, three. <laughs> so, and here's why you can look up the power of three. If you Google the power of three, when it comes to storytelling, you'll see there's studies that are done on this. Wow. Notice how I started, Ken, this presentation. There are three things that you need to know. Your opening, your middle, <laughs> and your close. Now, under each one of those three, I'm teaching things. Now, by the way, I'm really teaching things here. Dave, you're, you're pulling some trickery here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Kidding, I love right. It. So, I yeah. And, and hopefully, so even though I'm not actually selling something, we're always selling something. Right. So hopefully people will subscribe to my newsletter or whatever after watching this. But right. so I'm, I'm kind of setting that up. But so here's the keys, three pieces of information. And here's how you deliver it. Everyone write this down. Number one, tell people what to do, not how to do it. Tell people what to do, not how to do it. Number two, get, give them useful but incomplete information. So the truth is I'm giving out really good information here, but it's incomplete and it has to be, and it has to be for you. Here is the biggest mistake that people make when doing a one-to-many sales presentation. The biggest mistake is teaching too much because they want to deliver over the top value. The problem with teaching too much is this. Mm -hmm. You live, leave your audience with the false impression that they can do it themselves and they don't need you. And unless you're selling the simplest thing on the planet, right, then you shouldn't even be doing a one-to-many presentation. That's not true. You're actually doing your audience a disservice. Or the other bad thing that happens, Ken, is that you um, confuse the audience. They get confused. And a confused mind doesn't take action. So three pieces of information, either what to do, not how to do it, or useful but incomplete. So for example, a useful and incomplete would be there are five things that you need to do to close the sale. We don't have time to go over five. Let me go over two that you can implement right away. Well, what does that leave in the audience's mind? It creates the open loop. What are the other three? Right, then when I get to my close and I say in module six of my course, we go over the five ways to close the sale, right? It ties it all in. So that's- Brilliant. The, uh, go, go ahead. I, no, I just said, this is brilliant. Br and my wife is on here taking copious notes and putting them on the screen in comments. Oh, awesome. So, She's, hey, thanks, Jill. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, She's that's literally fantastic. Line, line by line following you. This is awesome, man. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from the center section is you're really doing your audience a disservice when you overteach. You're not God. delivering over the top value. You're doing them a disservice. That is, uh, I, uh, let me... Let, let me make a, like that is so important that everybody understands that. And I'm saying that for my benefit. So I'll remember because I do that way too often, way far too often. I've done it. I don't as much anymore, but I totally can relate to that. It's amazing. All right. So now we're in the middle. We've just done the content. Now we've got to transition into the close. So we don't have time. So I'm giving useful, but incomplete. We don't have time to go through all of the transitions, but the transition into the close where we're going to ask for the sale. And by the way, the sale can mean an appointment. The sale can mean uh, actually selling a service. The sale can mean selling a product. It's whatever, it, whatever your close is. This is where almost everybody who's not used to selling, speaking to sell, messes up they change their entire energy. They, they get tight. They tense up. You can tell that they're going into the sale, right? Oh, this yeah. guy's going to try to sell me something. This woman's <laughs> going to try to sell me something because uh, everything changes. And one of the reasons is there's not a smooth transition. So let me give everybody the literally the word for word transition. So after you've done your content, you say so far, and by the way, that word, those two words are mission critical. And I'll explain why in a minute. So far you discovered, and then you recap the three things that you just taught them. The reason that the word so far 
are important is it indicates that there's something else coming up. If you say, okay, so what I've taught you today is X, Y, and Z, you're, you're, you're projecting to the audience. That's the end of the teaching. I'm going into the close by using elegantly saying so far you've discovered X, Y, and Z. Wow. Right. Again, just wow. two small words, but they wow. make a huge difference. And then you say, but I want you to get this one thing. And then you lay out exactly what you need your audience to believe in order for them to move forward. So let me give you an example. Let's say I was selling my course um, on one-to-many selling. I would say, so far you discovered X, Y, and Z, but I want you to get this one thing. You can develop a presentation that delivers valuable information that'll generate leads for you and that'll get more people to schedule appointments with you in one month than you currently get all year. So again, whatever I need, I need my audience to buy into that in order yeah. for them to buy my product. So what is it for your service? You can, even if you're behind and saving for retirement, you can develop a plan for saving the money that you need for retirement so you can live out your golden years in style and never worry about making money. Now, again, I'm just making this up off the top of my head, but you get the idea. Wow. Then from that, you say the question you're probably asking is, how do I make that happen? Now you're into your clothes. So again, I know I'm going quickly here because I'm trying to pack in a lot of information, but that transition is so beautiful and so elegant and graceful and smooth. And you, wow. then you, then you introduce your solution. But the next thing that you do is after you introduce your solution, whether it's a consultation with you or the product that you're selling or the service or whatever it is, after you introduce the solution, and they're, they're wanting to hear it, right? So in a, in a really good presentation, there's a push and their pull. You want your audience, you want to be, be using the audience's emotions like a good television show. So if yeah. you watch a, like a great show, like my wife and I love the blacklist, like they'll start a story. And then right when something's about to happen, they move to a different storyline and then a different storyline. Then they come back because it keeps the audience engaged in the presentation. So after I've introduced my solution, they want to hear more about it, right? I don't tell them. Here's the next key. But before I tell you about it, let me tell you who this is not for. And this is where you're going to make a damaging admission. So this is not for you if you don't sell a professional service. While you can use this for X, Y, and Z, it's really designed for someone who sells a professional service. This is not for you if you are the type of person that's not going to follow a simple step-by-step -step plan and you're going to want to change it. This is a proven system that works. Now, the beautiful thing about that one is it puts someone in, no one wants to admit that they're not going to follow a proven system, right? So, but you are making a damaging mission and one that I will often use it, especially if my thing is really expensive, I'll say, and honestly, this is not for you. If the investment is going to keep you awake at night and food off your table, I prefer that you take the information that I gave you here today and start using it and implementing it. <clears throat> All right. So you wow. tell basically three things The there's a lot of subtleties to it, but that's the basic premise. Okay. So now you said who this is not for. And it, it should be designed so that the people that it's for say, well, I'm not that person. I'm not that person. I'm not that person. And by, they, by, by them saying, well, I don't fall into any of those categories, what they're actually saying is, this is for me. <laughs> right. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, wow. Right. Yeah. Right. And so the, the, the whole point of this, and, and even in my one-to-one, we're talking about one-to-many selling, but I've got a one-to-one -one selling program. I want the audience to, to come to a conclusion that they actually sold themselves, that I didn't sell them, that they, that they sold themselves. That's that, that they need what I have. Yeah. Right. And that they want more importantly, that they want what I have. Now I go through the next thing that you do is you go through and you describe your offer, by the way, 
if you are selling a consultation, which I know a lot of people who are watching this are, even if the consultation is free, number one, you still need to sell it. Just because it's free, you still need to talk about the benefits and the outcome and the yeah. transformation and all of that. Really important. The other mistake people make, uh, Ken, when selling a consultation or offering a consultation is that they're not, they don't sell the consultation. What they sell is the end result of the prospect working with them after they become a client. Prospect isn't there yet. No. What we're trying to do is get the prospect to take the next step in our process. Now, if we are selling a product, fantastic. But for many professionals, they're not selling a product. They're offering a consultation, a strategy session, whatever, right. whatever an appointment, whatever they call it. You've right. got to talk about the value of just that. Right. Not, not right. the value of, hey, after you, after you become a client of mine, I'm going to do all these great things for you. What is the value of me just meeting with you in the first place? And so you describe that. And, and by the way, a free strategy session or free consultation or appointment is not an offer. It's just a part of an offer. Right. right? That's not enough. You've got to build up an offer just as if you were selling, wow. uh, selling something. <clears throat> and then, uh, so you've talked about your offer. You then do your call to action, telling them exactly what you want them to do. Yeah. And by the way, um, I don't know if you're, I know you know who Gary Halbert is, but a lot of folks don't never heard of Gary Halbert. He, I don't he, know who that is. Oh, you don't know who Gary is. Okay. No. So Gary's a no. brilliant marketer. He was a brilliant marketer. He's passed away. He called himself the Prince of Print, uh, the world's greatest copywriter. A lot of people really thought he was the world's greatest copywriter. Wow. Uh, and uh, just a brilliant, brilliant guy. And one of the things that he taught in when doing your call to action, and it'll show, show how old this advice is, but it still pertains today, is if you want someone to get up off the couch after reading your ad and buy whatever it is you're selling, you need to tell them, stand up, get up off the couch, walk over to the phone, pick up the receiver, and dial, hold out your index finger and dial these numbers. His point was a lot of sales are lost because the prospect isn't exactly sure what you want them to do. Or, and what's going to happen after they do it. So if you want someone to click on the button that's on the screen to go to your online calendar to schedule an appointment with you, yeah. you need to say, okay, there's a button on your screen. It looks exactly like this. And then you would show it on the slide. Cl take your mouse, click that button. You'll be redirected to my online calendar. Then you show a picture of your online calendar. So you show them. So there's no ambiguity. If wow. the prospect is confused at all, they'll take the path of leaf for resistance, which is to yeah. do nothing. Right. Right. So tell them exactly what you want them to do. I, then, I think I, yeah. I, I, I want to make a point here that you just said that I, I don't want to go past because in the selling process for years, I always thought if they don't buy from me, they're going to buy from, from a competitor, but there's actually a third option. And you just said it, and that is they'll do nothing. Things will remain the same, which is probably more often than, than them going to a competitor. <laughs> they're that's just right. going to do nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. That's a hundred percent right. So they do have three options. One is to follow through one is to do nothing. And one is, to, to go find somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. then you recap your offer. So you need to recap it. So you just can't tell it one time. So you do your call to action, then you recap the offer and then you do a call to action. And then you do what I call, uh, the sincerity close. Now this doesn't mean that you're insincere <laughs> throughout the rest of your presentation. Right. Right. It's like when we were backstage before we, before we did this, because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. And he says, I hate that phrase. I'm like I'm always honest with people. Right? So you're being sincere throughout your entire presentation, but this is where you are going to look into the camera and you're just going to speak from the heart and talk to people about why they should take the step that you ask them that you're asking them to take. Right. And you really literally just speak from your heart. The first time, um, so I, I do a lot of these things where I interview um, my private clients. So instead of them just doing a webinar, Ken, uh, it's, we do it as an interview process. It follows this exact procedure, but I'm the interviewer and I'm the one actually doing the selling. Mm. So the first time I did this with a private client, his name is Michael Rosbrook. And um, I didn't tell him that we were going to do the sincerity close. Right. And so I was interviewing him this, we were actually on a stage on a set doing this and broadcasting it 
worldwide. And um, I said to him, Michael, for the person that's sitting on the on the fence, I want you to look at them and I want you to talk to them. And what would you say to them? And this is the very first time he had ever been in front of a camera doing this. I got up and I left the stage. I just walked off. Right. And the camera slowly zoomed in on him and he nailed it because he literally just spoke from his heart. It's one of the most powerful closes that there is where you just talk sincerely about yeah. the importance of what you do yeah. and the importance of helping someone. So if you're a financial advisor, right, you've got to really feel it. You got to really believe it. And then you just project that. Then you do your call to action and then you move into the Q and a section. You don't answer questions during your presentation. Don't answer questions during your presentation, hold the questions until the end. Yeah. And then the Q and a is actually a whole other process um, uh, of selling. So you want to answer a combination of content questions and product questions and be doing your call to action. And that's the basic structure. I, I hope people found that valuable. Oh my God. If they didn't, they need to move to another planet. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, and I want to, I want to talk a little bit about this and thank you for sharing that by oh, the way, pleasure. that, that was unbelievably valuable. So, so for the, the people who, you know, being a salesman, <laughs> being a saleswoman, um, has in a lot of, um, unconscious unconsciously i think a lot of people see that as a you know dirty profession a dirty well oh, you're a salesman and um you know you think about glenn gary glenn ross you call yourself a salesman you yeah, so right. you know you but like how how do you teach people or do you teach people yeah. that sales is a, a, it's a noble profession. And, and that I think it was Zig that said, you know, if every salesperson took the day off, the wheels of industry would come to a screeching halt. And, you know, how do you help people get over that, that mindset of sales is a bad or dirty profession? That, that is such a brilliant question. And it really is. And you're the first person that's ever asked me that question. And it wow. is one of the most important questions, especially for people who are in professional services, who have a degree or a yes. series of letters after their name, <laughs> right? Uh, because they don't want to think of themselves as salespeople for that exact reason. And the main reason is because of the misconception about what we're talking about here. Yep. So here's how I handle it. And let's do it right now with everybody so that yeah. if, they, if they have a problem with this, they can get over it. Because yeah. as you said, it is noble. So let, is let me noble. ask your audience a question. And I'd love if they can type in um, their their answers. That'd be fantastic. And can remind me to talk about typing in answers. If you could just remind me that, because there's one thing that I forgot to talk about. I don't want to forget it. Yeah. But if you guys can type in your answers to these questions. Number one. Uh, do you offer a quality product or service or, that really gets people results? So if you do type in yes, type in yes. If you offer a quality product or service that really gets uh, people results. Okay. Yeah. The second question is, uh, if are you the person, do you truly believe that you are the person, if you're in front of the right prospect, who can really, truly, honestly benefit from the, the product or service that you sell, that you should be the person that is helping them because you're going to provide better service. You're going to provide higher quality service, right? Cause you're going to, you, cause you care deeply about this person and really helping them get the result that they desire. If that's you type yes into the chat. Okay. The final thing is, uh, so you basically, what you've just told me is number one, you offer a quality product or service that helps someone get the outcome that they desire, helps them solve a problem that they have. That's what you said, right? If you answered yes, that's what you just told me. Yes, I've got a product or service that truly helps people live a better life, um, solve a problem that they desperately want to have solved, get them an outcome that they desire. And then you told me that you should be the person that if you if the, the you can really help this person, you should be the person that helps them. 
So if you answered yes to both of those questions, um, I'm going to quote a great marketer by the name of Jay Abraham. You have a moral obligation to close the sale. Yes. This person is in front of you asking for your help. As a salesperson, that's what you're doing. You're not convinced. You're not. Here's one of my favorite sayings. The difference between manipulation and persuasion is intent. The difference between manipulation and persuasion is intent. What is your intent? If your intent is to sell your service or sell your product to someone that, that they don't want it, they don't need it, uh, it's not really going to help them, then you are a snake oil salesman. Right. And you should be put in jail. Yes. Okay. But if you if there's someone is in front of you and they need your help and you can help them and you say, well, I'm, uh, uh, I'm this and I, so I shouldn't have to sell. You're doing them a disservice. You're doing your business a disservice. You're doing your family a disservice and you're doing yourself a disservice. But most of all, you're doing your prospect a disservice. That's the difference. And if you really get that mindset, if you really, now I'm getting all fired up here, Ken. I if love you, it. If, 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 if you truly associate to what you do for people on a deep level, not on a surface level, on a deep level, what you actually do, how you impact them, then you should be motivated to learn every strategy that is ethical to help them make the decision that's going to get the result that they desire. It's your obligation. And if you don't do it, and by the way, Ken, some people literally have a moral obligation. The estate planning attorney who I work with a lot of, they have a moral obligation. Yes, they the do. The financial advisor has a moral obligation. The dentist, the doctor has a moral obligation. The yep. chiropractor who's a doctor has a moral obligation yep. to close the sale. And to not do it is really a dereliction of duty. <laughs> they should be suspended. I'm, I'm, but I mean, you're, you're, I'm sitting here. You're right, man. I'm thinking about dental friends I have and, you know, and, and I think that it, gosh, you made so many points. They have the, maybe the three or two letters after their name and they, they, they think, okay, people need to just show up and write me checks. <laughs> that's, that's just not the way it works. Well, on a more practical matter, on a, on a more practical, less esoteric motivational level, uh, here, here is reality. Uh, the best person is not is typically not the person that is the most successful. The person that is best. Now, maybe we don't think that. Maybe we don't think that that's fair, right? Maybe we don't think that that's the way that it should be. But guess what? The person who's the best marketer and the best salesperson is typically the person that's most successful. Now, the ideal is if you're really great at what you do. And you're great at closing sales and generating leads and, and, and getting referrals and all of that. Yeah. That's that's the ideal scenario, right? And those are the people who I like to deal with. But the classic example, and this drives financial advisors crazy, is they talk about Susie Orman, right? If Susie Orman came and set up shop uh, next to you, do you think Susie Orman would have any trouble getting clients? Is Sus does Susie Orman better financial advisor than you? And they all go right. crazy. No, she's not. Well, then how come Susie Orman? would would crush you like a grape yeah <laughs> right well I, I mean there's a lot of reasons so uh but again the the real the, the real point is that you do have an obligation and, and you'll be helping more people sales is about helping people find solutions to their problems and get on the outcomes that they desire that's what sales is that's all it is yep my buddy grant cardone says the best known will always beat the best He's and, and, he, and Grant is a hundred percent correct. It's it's the truth, man. It's it's the marketing that goes goes behind it. You, uh, this has been an absolutely amazing interview. I I do have have a couple of questions I want to finish up with. Okay. Um, I cannot believe that we're we're at fifty four minutes and I know. that's insane. This went like that. So so. I always ask these these two questions at the end, and I want to I want to ask you this because this this is gonna we're gonna go off of the sales path for a minute and into the psychology world for a second, um, which I think those are related. But um, 
for the, the, the what in your opinion and the number one answer to this is fear by the way so you have to do better dave um <laughs> but but in your opinion what do you think stops people from having two things number one real financial success and number two freedom and real joy and happiness in life and i do think those two things are are related i i've been homeless and broke and i've been wealthy and and homeless and broke sucks right. so um what do you think is is holding people back in life yes yeah, so I, I wouldn't say it's fear i i would say it's lack of a clear vision i would say is not knowing specifically what specifically what success looks like to you what is your definition one of the best exercises I ever did, Ken, was years ago, and I forget who it was. It might have been my buddy Frank Kern, um, but he said, write down what your average perfect day looks like, what your average perfect day. So not that you're flying. I mean, we just got back from two weeks in Italy and we were in Paris. Not that day, right? A day that you would, a normal day that you would live. And I wrote this down years ago, exactly what I wanted that to look like. And, and every year I wrote it down and I was going through an old journal the other day. And one of the things was that I was living, uh, in, a, in a beautiful home with huge, huge floor to ceiling windows, which overlooked the forest. And I was married to someone who I was so attracted to. So I it was smart and we laughed all the time and I mapped it out and I was going through this, my, an old journal that this was in and it hit me. I'm living in that house. Like you walk into our, our, into our home, we have these huge floor to ceiling windows, and I totally forgot about it. I am married to my wife, Kalia, who's also my business partner. I can't imagine. I never knew what that was supposed to feel like, what love was supposed to feel like until I met her and everything. Wow. And, and, and so if, if you don't know what it is, if you haven't really thought that thought it through and also tied it into your values, tie your goals into your values and then into your, into your vision, then how do you know what success is? How do you know what path to go down? And then I think the other thing that stops people is that any bit of adversity, they quit because the vision and the reasons why not having powerful enough reasons why they want to achieve this is one of the major factors. If I don't have powerful enough reasons why at my first sign of adversity, I quit. And so, so going back to tie it into a nice little package, when I was doing three shows a month and I sent out my first sales letters and I didn't get any response, if I didn't have powerful reasons why I wouldn't have tried it again, I wouldn't have placed an ad here. I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have got on the phone and made calls. I wouldn't have done all the things that I wanted to do, but I had a powerful enough reason why, which helped me get through that adversity. Wow. <clears throat> so powerful. So powerful. I remember back when my wife and I were business partners as well, and, and we opened our first office. I, we met 13 years ago and we're like, let's open an office. So we opened an office and a few, six months down the road, you know, we had a handful of employees. And one day this big old boy that worked for me comes walking into my office. I'm on the phone. He says, Hey, there's somebody out in the parking lot looking in the windows of your SUV. And I'm like, I'm, I, hold on a minute, dude, you're bigger than me. Go tell him to get the hell out of here. What, 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 what he's like, he's got it blocked with a tow truck. And I'm like, Oh, that's oh, not man. good. <laughs> that is not good. No bueno, as they would say in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I was like, okay, so I go, and you can't talk the repo man out of taking your car. <laughs> so I watched my car get towed away in front of my employees, wow. and all of the excitement in my life came to a just a screeching halt. And <clears throat> I remember thinking, what's the point? of going on like what is the point this is ridiculous like and i wanted to quit everything in life and i don't know what helped me and that's why i always ask this question 
for somebody that's watching that feels like they've done everything, they've given it their all, they don't know what else to do, they're hanging on by a thread, what do you say to them to help? Because you and I know that it does get better if you just hang on. But to the people that, that don't know how to hang on, maybe they, I'm going to give up and go get a job or I'm going to, whatever it is, what do you say to them to help them get through this moment? Mm. Boy, thanks for sharing that story. That was um, really, really powerful. And so, you know, I, we didn't, we didn't go over all the dark stuff, right? All of the, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, There's but, no but, dark but, stuff. But, it's yeah, all right yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no, no. It's just been smooth sailing. <laughs> <laughs> this entrepreneurial journey is just smooth sailing. Hunter, it's been awesome. Yeah. Um, the thing that I would say is uh, recommit. Go back. Go. Why, what are your reasons why? I keep going back to that, but it's it's the truth. What are the reasons why? Why are you really doing this? And recommit. And there's a book. Um, it just came out. Uh, it's by Ed Milet, and it's called The Power of One More. And the basic premise of the book is. Do one more thing. Give it another shot. Do one more and then do one more. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean keep doing the same things, right? So if you've tried this, the same thing over and over and over again, it's probably not going to work the 15th time you do it. Try something else. Um, there's a saying in NLP, if what you're doing isn't working, try something else, anything else, right? <laughs> it's yeah. got to be better than, 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 than what you're doing. But do one more thing, but recommit and ask yourself, by the way, are my reasons why still valid? Because things do change. Maybe the reason um, that you're not getting what you want is because it's not really what you want anymore. That's no one likes to talk about that because in entrepreneurial, yeah. they'll just keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, never give up. Well, that, that's not absolutely 100% true never give up if you still have this passion and you still want it and you still have powerful reasons why, but you, maybe you need to re-examine it and the universe, God, whatever it is for you, for me, it's God. Maybe God's giving you a message. Hey, what is the path that you should actually be on? So I was doing all of these different, I didn't tell all my entire story, Ken, but I owned a karate school. I did a bunch. I owned magic carts in the mall during Christmas time. And like the karate school, was a was a disaster. It was the the second lowest point of my life. I was making no money, and I mean, no money. Yeah. It was a disaster. And um, and it was the it was God telling me, "You have this dream. You've had this passion since you were eight years old. What are you doing? Right. What are you doing? Right. 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 Yeah. And it it was after that. I went to, to the seminar, I saw Dan, I got the program and I committed to doing the thing that I really should be doing. So the question to ask yourself is, are you actually doing what your heart and what your soul and what your spirit is telling you to do? Or are you doing something that you think you should be doing? So mm, I love that, man. I'm getting ready to pop your website up here on the, the ticker down here at the bottom. Um, which is DaveD.com, right? Yeah. So there's two places that they can go. Um, one is DaveD.com, mm -hmm. uh, which is my my personal website. And there's a great free report there. And I send out about uh, two to three emails a week. Okay. Uh, the other one, though, is uh, called uh, Sales Espresso. I'm the founder of this. And this is a daily, highly entertaining uh, and informative newsletter uh, which teach, which gives you one tip every single day and an action step that you can take really simple to automatically increase your sales. And so that's salesespresso.com. Yeah. And there's a wonderful report there called the five biggest mistakes professionals make when selling their services and how to avoid them. So we go over. And so it's like a checklist. Am I making one of these mistakes? And if I am, it also gives you the solution. So either daved.com or salesespresso.com, daved.com, you'll get more of a personal type of uh, newsletter from me. A lot of people subscribe to both. Wow. Well, everybody needs to subscribe to both. So, um, and, and follow, where, where are you on social media? Where I'm really bad on social media. I mean, like, 
Okay. I, I got to fix that issue. Um, <laughs> the best way to connect with me is absolutely <laughs> on salesespresso.com uh, or daved.com for sure. Right. Wow. Um, so my wife's popping this in the comments. Everybody go over, subscribe. I have them both pulled up on, on my computer. So thank you. I will uh, definitely be subscribing. So Dave, you are, um, man, I'm, I'm pleasantly shocked at how, (laughs) how uh, I'm serious. And thank you to, to uh, Andrew Locke for introducing us. I had a great time. Andrew is an amazing man and I appreciate him referring you to me, man. This has been incredible. So if you would stay with me, I'm going to, I'm going to end the live stream, um, put us both backstage, but everybody watching, please um, go to salesespresso.com that my wife just popped in the comments. It's scrolling across the bottom and go over to daved.com, learn more, sign up for everything he has. You need it. You know, you do. So, um, let's, let's, let's support Dave and, and man, you're awesome. Thank you, Dave. Hey man, Ken, thank you so much. I'd love to come back on and talk about one-to-one selling at, at some point. So I, I'd love that. I, I would absolutely love that. This has been amazing. So everybody follow Dave, go subscribe to his stuff and, and we'll definitely do another live stream and, and have you come on and talk about that. Would love that. So thank you so much. Appreciate you, Dave. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for watching. See you guys. Have a great day.